Our study is going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. This is one of those texts that that's a little bit uncomfortable to study because of the subject matter. But the Lord laid a concept in my heart this week, and this was the best passage I felt to give us a really clear picture of it. Our focus this morning, I encourage you to take some notes, our focus is in two parts, and the first part is that we want to identify how we react, especially in times of difficulty, and what that says about our spiritual walk, what our reactions say about us spiritually, and then the second part is to see that those reactions have a lasting effect, both positively or negatively. Now, this section of 2 Samuel contains a lot of poor decisions, and it contains a lot of family problems, and for some of you that may hit a little bit uh, close to home, but the value of studying this text is that the Spirit of God uh, really wants to uh, give us some insight into a larger topic, and He will use this text, I pray this morning, to teach us how not to repeat some of the mistakes that we see here. So I want you to go back actually to chapter 3, just we're going to skim as I talk. Let's set some context for, for chapter 13 because it's always good to know what's going on. Context is key when you study scripture. Don't just pull a passage out. Make sure you know what's around it. So chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, David is being firmly established finally as the king of Israel. The Lord's blessing him. The Lord's encouraging him. The Lord's using him to set up a, a positive spiritual kingdom which they didn't have under Saul, and to start to defeat their enemies as God continues to, to bless his nation. So that's chapters 3 to 6. Chapter 7, David develops a very strong burden and a passion to build a temple. And he tells that to the Lord, and the Lord says, well, we're going to build a temple, but it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son that's going to be the one that builds it. Then you get, as you look to chapters 8 to 10, and in chapters 8 to 10, David has military victories, he and the nation are in prime position. They're powerful. The Lord is helping them. The Lord has hand on them. Everything is going great. How many know that whenever everything is going great, you need to watch out? Because that's what happens. Chapter 11 is where everything falls apart. Now, it's not because God failed David. It's not because God wasn't blessing or being faithful or being merciful. All the things we sang about this morning. It's because David took his eyes off the Lord. So God's blessed him, God's established him, God's given him victory, God's given him respect in the nation. But then chapter 11 happens, and David commits his most significant sin. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. And it's a sexual sin that's going to have very lasting implications, not only because the child born out of that adultery uh, ends up dying, but because it sets a tone for what's going to happen next with his children. See, David's immorality negated his ability to teach purity to his children with any degree of integrity. He couldn't say, you need to be pure, you need to be holy, you need to be chaste, you need to make sure that you don't fall sexually, because David himself had, had torn that apart with his own sin, and now he set an example of compromise. And this is something that we really need to, to take into account, especially as parents. Not only because we should be setting a holy standard in order to, to represent Christ and to honor the Lord, but we should uh, 
also do that because if we don't, it prevents us from establishing standards and expectations for our kids. As the priests go, the people. In other words, if, if the parent doesn't establish a holy standard, you can't then turn around and say to your kids, well, you need to be holy. They're going to say, well, here's the problem. You're not. So how can you expect to teach me and, and expect me to do that? That's hypocritical. So, so if we're trying to teach our sons to respect women and we're yelling at our wives, men, or we're looking at pornography, how are we going to teach our boys that they need to respect women and treat women right with respect and honor and purity? Parents, how are, how are we going to, to teach our kids sanctification and not being conformed to the world, which is a biblical command, by the way, it's not a suggestion. How are we going to teach them that if we're abusing alcohol or we're hanging around with people who curse the Lord or we're filling our hearts and minds with, with entertainment that's profane and violent? See, we, we came before the Lord last Sunday, and we, we called on him, and we asked him for help. But, but we need to make sure that, that the difficulty in our life is not a, a result of our decisions because we're under constant spiritual warfare. But sometimes we make decisions that lead us into a trap, and that's what happens with David here. Look at the text, and you can look back at chapter 11, but we're going to concentrate on 13. David never deals with his sin with Bathsheba on a family level. Not that I can see. And I've studied the text. I can't find a place where David brings resolution to his family. Where David sits down his kids and says, look, the, the atmosphere of our family right now is, is toxic and it's because of me. It's because of my sin. I failed you. I failed my family. I failed the Lord. And, and I need to get everybody together. And we need to establish uh, some spiritual focus because I haven't done that. He never does that that we can see. In fact, we never even get the sense that, that he sits down the kids and says, are you okay? Because the next event, after his adultery, after he's confronted, after he confesses, is Bathsheba gets pregnant again, a Solomon, his son, is born, and, and then war happens as a result of David's sin, and David's focus is, again, away from his family. And here's the problem. There were three children that he had that were young adults, and they had been watching. And as they had watched him, the enemy had started to build rebellion and resentment in two of them. Now, David's kids, he had 20 kids total, 19 boys, one girl. Okay? So, David's firstborn son was named Amnon. David's secondborn son was named Kiliab, and we think Historians think that Kiliab probably died at an early age because there's no record of him at all other than him being born. So Amnon's first, Kiliab is second. This is important. And then the third son is named Absalom. The one daughter is born somewhere in that mix, and her name is Tamar. Absalom and Tamar were full brother and sister. They were from the same mother. Amnon was a half-brother. Okay, you got it? Amnon's first. He's a half-brother. Absalom and Tamar are three and four, and they are full brother and sister. And that's where we get to the problem. Because Amnon, son number one, was very attracted to Tamar. He was attracted to his half-sister. Now, in terms of the Jewish law and in terms of God's law, that was not allowed. But the Bible says that Amnon was so obsessed with Tamar, he was so consumed with desire for her, that he actually was physically sick about it. 
and he began to plot how he could have a relationship somehow with Tamar. So his cousin, a guy named Jonadab, stay with me, he comes up with a strategy. He says to Amnon, why don't you fake like you're sick and get Tamar to bring some food to you, which David authorizes when the plot is played out. And, and when she brings the food to you, then you can seduce her to commit adultery with you. As that unfolds and as that plays out, Tamar obviously resists Amnon and Amnon rapes her. And he instantly develops a hatred for her and banishes her from his presence. Now, we're going to get to why that's important, but there are two very important reactions when this takes place. And I'm kind of gliding through the text because I want to give you background and get to our study. There are two important reactions that take place once all this happens. First of all, David hears about it, and he gets angry, but there's no record that he did anything about it. The second thing that happens is Absalom, the second son, a third son, excuse me, is understandably livid at what's happened to his sister. And he begins to plot against Amnon. And for two years, he develops a plan to avenge Tamar. So what we need to understand at the outset is what he's about to do is not a spur-of-the-moment reaction. He thought about it for two years. Now you go, all right, it's February why are we studying this? This is kind of a strange text, and, and this is a mess. There's nothing pleasant about it. There's nothing good that's going to come out of this. I don't have a great bottom line of the family was restored and everything was great. This becomes a complete disaster. Now, you say, all right, what does it have to do with me in February of 2017? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit really wants us to examine how we react when we faced difficulty. When there's injustice, when there's stress, when there's temptation, when there's a stretching of your faith, how do you respond? What is your, what is your go-to reaction? What's your default? What do, you, what do you fall back on? What do you perceive as this will bring me comfort and strength to help me manage the difficulty that I'm in right now? How, how can I deal with that? So I've got to go to this. Now throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit details all the different ways people have reacted to difficulty. And instead of trying to read them all off to you this morning, because I thought that would put you to sleep, you notice in your bulletin I gave you a little list. And I want to encourage you to use this list, because on this list we see, and I'm sure there are more, these are the ones I came up with, positive and negative biblical reactions. And I've given you a text, or multiple texts for each person. Because here's the one I want to encourage you to do. This week, and it may take you more than a week, I encourage you to go through each of these texts and to see how the reaction that that person had, why it happened, why they reacted, what they were reacting to, and then what the long-term implications are of this. Now, when you look at those two lists, and they're about, about even, you see that there is definitely a contrast between reactions that are produced from being filled with the Spirit, that's at the top of the page, and reactions that come from being full of pride and being controlled by our flesh. You see biblical reactions, positive examples, humility, holiness, confidence in the Lord's plan, believing God's promises, obedience, faithfulness, leadership, courage, consecration, on and on it goes. These are the product of being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the fruit of the Spirit. 
Tell me the fruit of the Spirit. Let's say it together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? So when the reactions have those qualities, and it's easy to see whether the reaction, whether my reaction is full of love, or whether my reaction is full of peace, or whether it's full of goodness and gentleness and self-control. When our reactions are guided by the Holy Spirit, when there's self-discipline and there's a renewed mind that's evident of the Spirit, it'll look like the top half of the page. But when we're not living under His control, when we're living by the flesh, there's a spirit of pride and rebellion. And I want you to see how marked the contrast is, and these are just straight out of Scripture, how marked the contrast is between the ones we just read, and now let's look at the bottom of the list. Jealousy, anger, violence, impatience, worry, fear, pride, anger, sexual sin, lust, discouragement, resignation, greed, doubt, on and on it goes. I mean, the two lists couldn't be more polar opposite. The only difference between top of the list and bottom of the list is whether the person was filled by the Holy Spirit at that moment. So we have to look at our reactions and see what they're saying. What, how, how when you and I respond, especially in times of difficulty, what is it saying about our lives? So for the remainder of our study this morning, we're going to focus on two different areas. One is, what our reactions teach us? So if you're taking notes, just write that down. What do our reactions teach me? What do our reactions teach us? Second part is, how those reactions can become pleasing to the Lord. Because if the bottom list describes us more than the top list, something needs to change. Now let's see what our reactions teach us by looking at Absalom. And let's get to the text now. First, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 13, start at verse 20. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. This is right after um, she's been violated and she puts ashes on her head and, and basically becomes a recluse. So Tamar remained, verse 20, and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now when King David heard all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king, speaking of David, and his servants go with your servant. But David said to Absalom, No, my son, we shall not all go, for we will be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. Uh-oh. That's what he was really going for. The king said to him, why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Absalom commanded his servants, saying, see now, when Abs Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear, have not I myself commanded you. Be courageous and valiant. Servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and mounted his mule and fled. Now it was while they were on the way that the report came to David saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Then the king arose, tore his clothes and lay on the ground. And all his servants were standing by with clothes torn. Jonadab, who was the one who had encouraged Amnon, 
the son of Shimei, David's brother, responded, Do not let my lord suppose they have put to death all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. Because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, do not let my lord the king take the report to heart, namely all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Now Absalom had fled, verse 34. And the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come according to your servant's words. So it happened. As soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came in and lift their voices and wept, and all the king and all his servants wept bitterly. Now that's a lot to read, but it sets the stage for what Absalom does. Justifiably, legally, practically, emotionally, of course he wanted to avenge his sister. But the way he does it is wrong. And the reaction says something about the state of his heart. So let's establish in our first section what our reactions teach us. Let's, let's set four main principles here. We'll do them quickly. About what our responses, especially in difficulty, teach us about ourselves and about our spiritual health. The first one is that our reactions give us insight into our spiritual character and conviction. Our reactions give us insight into our spiritual character and conviction. The first word that comes out of our mouths... The first reaction that we have, the first attitude that we have, those are all little windows into what's in our heart and what we value. Now we see that Amnon, in verse 15, his feelings suddenly change from desire and passion, and he would have said real love for his sister. They change suddenly when he violates her into strong hatred for her. Because that's what was really in his heart. He didn't love her. He didn't have a pure desire for her. He was willing to violate her. He was willing to defile her because of his selfishness. That is a very important lesson, especially for teenage girls. But it is not just for teenage girls. It's for teenage boys, and it's for adults. When somebody is pressuring you to be in a compromising situation, that is a lie from the enemy. And you need to hear that. You need to understand that. I'm sure you've heard it from your parents, but hear it from your pastor and your friend. Anytime somebody pressures you, adults, this applies to us. Anytime someone pressures you, wants you to be in a compromising situation, that is not love, it's not purity, it's selfishness, and it's lust. Anytime anyone puts you in any situation where you are supposed to disobey the word of God, there is no love in that. Because no believer would ever encourage another believer to sin. So purify yourself. Protect yourself. Understand that that reaction is a matter of spiritual character and conviction. And that's true with Amnon. And it's true with Absalom. Although it takes two years for Absalom to kind of, to kind of show it. So he holds on to his anger. And he holds on to his resentment at his dad for doing nothing. And he holds on to his desire to avenge his sister. And he's like an active volcano. He plans and he plots and he waits for the right opportunity to kill Amnon. This is not just some sense of justice. This was an actual revelation into his heart. He never seeks the Lord, never goes to David, never says we need to get real justice for this. There's no relationship there. He becomes hostile to the Lord. And killing Amnon doesn't bring him any peace. 
In fact, it just proceeds to the next step. And after he kills Amnon, he runs and he tries to overthrow David's kingdom. That happens in chapter 15. So our reactions give us insight into our spiritual care and conviction. Second thing we need to see here is that our reactions often uncover spiritual infection. Our reactions often uncover spiritual infection. Where there is an internal problem like a a virus or an infection, it usually manifests, it will manifest itself internally. I've been fighting this cough for two weeks. I'm doing everything I can not to cough this morning. But for two weeks, there's been a tickle at my throat. There's been some kind of little little viral thing going on, and, and now my kids are getting it. And Adam said this morning he's getting it. Some people aren't here this morning because they've got it. And a third of the kids' school has it. So we're all just trading germs. It's a blast, isn't it? So I've been fighting this for two weeks because somewhere deep down, there's something going on, some sort of virus Now, when our actions and our responses are unsanctified, listen now, they're like this nasty cough. The spiritual infection that is inside that hasn't been dealt with, hasn't been confessed, hasn't been forgiven by the Lord yet because we haven't taken it to Him, we're holding on to it. Now that starts to break out and show, especially in our emotions. And our emotions become unholy and they become out of control. What's stunning is how long Absalom takes, how long he holds on to his anger until finally in verse 28, his revenge plays out. But the infection had set in, and he didn't do anything about it. He just continued to let it fester. So when he finally says to his servants, go kill my brother, it's not, it's not just an overreaction. Well, well, now I'm angry. He's been holding on to it because there's no spiritual health there. Here's the third thought, and this is very important. Bad reactions put us on an escalating path of sin. Bad reactions put us on an escalating path of sin. This this message is called chain reaction because that's what happens. Once that infection sees daylight, once the cough comes out, you don't cover your mouth and somebody's standing in. Not to be gross here, but this is an important point. Once the infection spreads, what happens? The next person starts to cough. And then they share it with somebody else, and they don't cover their mouth, and one thing leads to another. Now you're going, I'm wearing a mask to church next week. Now how do we see this play out? This pattern repeats itself in David's family. Once he sins with Bathsheba, listen very carefully now. Once he sins with Bathsheba, David has to send her husband to the front line in the hope that he'll be killed. And then he's deceptive with his family and his friends. Then he becomes angry when his friends confront him about the sin. And then eventually his son dies because of the sin. Leading out of that, now Amnon, we see how he's acted. And we see what happens with Absalom. He won't stop till he kills Amnon. And then after he kills Amnon, because he has no peace, he then rebels against David. He stages a coup. He kicks David out of Jerusalem. He tries to establish a kingdom, and then he runs, gets hung in a tree by his long hair, and is killed by David's friend. But it doesn't stop there. Then after Amnon and Absalom, then there's another son named Adonijah. Adonijah gets the bright idea that Absalom didn't finish the job, so he makes a play for David's throne too. And he's killed 
by another son, Solomon. And then Solomon takes the throne. And Solomon's blessed. But as he gets older, he allows his heart to wander, even though God said very clearly to him, don't follow strange gods. Don't follow after women that will lead you away. But Solomon doesn't listen to the Lord's warnings. He doesn't yield to the Lord's commands. And he eventually has a thousand women. And a thousand women all pull his heart away from the Lord who had blessed him and given his wisdom and helped him and had built the temple through him. Now Solomon wanders away from the Lord. Again, the pattern repeats, repeats, repeats. David, Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, Solomon. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he divides the kingdom. And it's been a mess till 1948. You don't think actions have consequences? Just look at David's family. Once the heart compromises, it sets off a chain reaction. I have seen this play out, sadly. I say this with no joy. I've seen this play out hundreds of times. In marriages where there's adultery and it's continued through the generations, where there's divorce and it continues through the generations. I've seen it in families with, with the repetition of impurity and alcoholism and lack of spiritual growth. And the parents model it for the kids and then the kids embrace it. And the kids model it for their kids and their friends and on and on it goes. I've seen it with people. Compromise, spiritual, spiritual lack of growth, a hindered witness. Listen, it is time for us to break those cycles of repetition. And if you're in that and you've seen that play out in your family and you say, Paul, you're talking exactly about my family. You know what? Break the cycle. Don't perpetuate it because guess what? If you perpetuate it, your kids are going to perpetuate it. So somebody says, enough. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord. We're not going to continue this path of, of, of uh, destruction and pain and unhappiness. Now, why is that important? Reason number four, reactions are opportunities to influence people. Now, that could be negative. We can hinder people's walk. We can damage what's going on in their lives. We can, we can hurt their understanding of what it means to be a sanctified, transformed believer who's a disciple of Christ. If we're not living that way, then we're going to teach them that. So there can be negative opportunities to influence people. But there are also going to be positive opportunities to show people the love of Christ, to show them what a transformed life looks like, to give them an understanding of God's mercy, to give them encouragement and build them up and support them, to pray with them, to, to help them progress in their faith, to disciple them, to come alongside them. Think of all the positive ways we can impact other people's lives. Absalom chose not to follow that path. And by not following that path, people died, the kingdom was divided, David's family was broken, and at the end of the day, none of it gave Tamar any comfort. How different would it have been if David had shown some spiritual leadership in his family, and Absalom had been living for the Lord, and they had in a brokenness gotten on their faces and called on the Lord and said, God, help us. Help our family. Heal our sister and daughter. And Lord, you say vengeance is mine. So you do it. We won't get involved. We'll seek legal justice. But Lord, you're the one who deals with Ammon because he rebelled against you. Imagine how differently it would have turned out.
That's the kind of rational and spiritually uh, productive reaction that comes from a heart that is following the Lord. And that's what our reaction should look like. So how do we get there? Let's finish our study. Obviously, living for Christ, obviously yielding to the Holy Spirit is a prerequisite for holy reactions. But let me just give you, I, I pray this is from the Spirit this morning, let me just give you some practical steps that we can take to make sure we're pleasing the Lord at all times. I really want to encourage you to write these down. If you've written nothing else down, write these down. Practical steps that we can take to make sure our reactions are pleasing the Lord. First of all, we need to know our tendencies. We need to know our tendencies. You and I need to be students of our behavior. Let me tell you why this is important. Because the devil is a student of your behavior. The devil cannot read your mind. He cannot know your thoughts unless they're expressed. But he can watch your behavior. And he does. And he prepares his attack against me and his attack against you based on what he knows will entice us. So we need to be very honestly identifying what our weaknesses are, what habits of the old man we gravitate toward, how we tend to react during stress. Now, if you say, I can't really identify those, I, I don't know myself well enough, or you're not willing, and I say this nicely, you're, you're not willing to, to really be honest about it, then here's what I want to encourage you to do. Find somebody you trust and say, I want you to give me a, 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 an evaluation of my life. You go, no way. Well, are we going to deal with this or not? I want you to be honest with me. What's my normal reaction? How do you see me respond when I'm in stress? What do I usually do? What do you think my weaknesses are? I'm not talking about, you know, I'm a bad administrator. God, what are my spiritual weaknesses? Where do you see the old man come to me? What, what tempts me? And get them to write it out. Because we've got to be aggressive about this. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be held accountable for this. Because there is a lasting effect of bad reactions. We see it all through David's life. We've got to be purposeful in dealing with this. So first thing, know your tendency. Second of all, we need to recognize the triggers. Recognize the triggers that set off our sinful reactions. The enemy knows which buttons to push. And we should know that just as well. So if you tend toward lust and jealousy, you need to put safeguards in place on your computer safeguards in place on your cell phone. You need to get off social media. You need to do something. If lust and jealousy and desire and coveting are, are what's grabbing you, then stop watching things. Stop looking at things. Stop taking in things that are going to feed that. I love those house hunter shows or home makeover shows. I'm like, man, look at that. I wish my house looked like that. You know what that does? It just makes me jealous. It makes me covet. I wish I had that kind of money. I wish, I wish Chip and Joanna would come in and change my house. I don't want to live in Texas, but maybe they could visit Wisconsin. I'd love to live in the Caribbean. Boy, that looks great. Look at that water. Man, it must be nice to walk out on the beach every morning when I'm looking out in my yard and there's snow. Actually, there's no snow, but it's cold, right? 
It's gray. It was gray for like 27 straight days or something. When I look at the sun, I'm like, what is that in the sky? I don't even recognize it anymore. So 11 o'clock at night, I'm watching people walking on the beach in St. Lucia, and I'm going, oh, really? This is my life? That breeds jealousy, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? It breeds coveting. So what's the trigger? If, you're, if your trigger is worldly behavior, you need to change the places you go. You need to change the people that you hang out with so you're not tempted. Because the more you hang out with them and the more you do it, the more it perpetuates. If you're triggered by fear and worry and you're constantly anxious, then you need to get in the Word of God. You need to listen to the Word of God. It needs to be a priority. And you need to pray. You need to say, Holy Spirit, help me to take every thought captive. Listen, this is not a game. This is serious stuff. Recognize your triggers and then be aggressively intentional about dealing with them. Third, this one may be the most important. I buried the lead. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to remove the desire. How many know that God is able to remove sinful desires and renew our minds? God is able to remove sinful desires and renew our minds. If he is all-powerful and he is all-sufficient and he is all-gracious, and he is, then every single day, we need to say, Lord, I need your help, and I need your victory. And you know what? God will never ignore that prayer. He's ready to help us. He wants us to overcome sin. He wants us to defeat those desires. And if you don't have victory in this, or you're not seeing strong progress in your life, it is almost certain, almost certain, that you are not being persistent and consistent in asking him. Probably the most tragic verse in the Bible is you have not because what? You ask not. Church, let's not let that verse be true of us. Let's not let that be true of us. Think about the vehicle that God has given us to talk to him and to hear from him and to be in his presence. And we're going to neglect that and continue to struggle? Fourth, last we need to consecrate ourselves. What does that mean? It means we need to be holy. Before they cross the Jordan River into the promised land, Joshua tells Israel, and we know Israel for 40 years has been rebellious, resistant, faithless, constantly sinful. And as they're standing on the bank looking over the promised land, Joshua says, you need to take a couple days and consecrate yourself. Why? Because Joshua knew that the greatest threat was not from the people in Jericho and the people in Ai. It was the internal threat of people's spiritual inconsistency. A whole new generation had been born. Two million people who saw their parents die in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb are left from Egypt. And Joshua knows the tendency of the people. He knows the cycles of repetition, and he looks at this new generation who's all 40 years old or less, and he says, here's what will give us victory. Not military strategy. God disproved that at Jericho. It's not cleverness. It is not any of that. It is only that we are consecrated. Get your hearts and minds ready 
with the Lord for action. Be refreshed, be committed to holiness, and then God will bless us. Same is true for us. We need to be students of the word. We need to surround ourselves with sanctified people. And we need to refuse to be put in questionable situations that will tempt us. We need to take very seriously the command to fill your mind only, listen, only with what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, and what is of good reputation. If we love the Lord, that will be our choice. And it will start to reflect in our reactions that will be sanctified. The chain doesn't have to be damaging. The chain can be source of life and strength and how we speak and how we carry ourselves and how we minister to each other. It can be edifying when it's under the control of the Holy Spirit. So what's the pattern in your life? What infection needs to be dealt with? What triggers need to be shut down in your life and in my life?